Hey, listeners, before we begin today's episode, I have an exciting announcement to make. We've partnered with DCM Insights for a free masterclass on September 14th at 11 a.m. Mountain. This masterclass will feature someone familiar to the Sales Intelligence Weekly podcast, Mr. Matt Dixon, co-author of The Challenger Sale and his upcoming book, The Jolt Effect. He and I will present side-by-side and explore how B2B go-to-market teams can overcome customer indecision. Together, we're going to dissect why no decisions even occur, the psychology behind buyer behavior, how high performers overcome customer indecision, and why no decisions should be treated differently than losses. I'll be debuting some new proprietary research around no decisions from our 20-plus years of win-loss analysis, never before heard by the public. If you are in sales or marketing, this is a must-attend event. So go reserve your seat at www.primary-intel.com. This event is coming soon on September 14th, so don't miss it. This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, the leader in win-loss analysis, focused on helping businesses uncover the unique story on how each sales rep can win more deals. Hey, everyone, and thanks for joining me on another rousing edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly brought to you by Primary Intelligence. I'm Ryan Queller. Enterprise selling, right? It's a different kind of beast that affords enterprise sales reps many different kinds of challenges as they try to hit revenue goals. Everything from engaging with the right senior executives, uncovering the right pain points so that they can craft the right story, positioning the deal size, building relationships of trust, navigating the, the mega sales cycle, uh, dif- discovering the means to expand your deals throughout the customer lifecycle, trying to fit your prospect into your account plan, the list of real challenges just goes on and on and on. Now, for many listeners, you might be saying, well, Ryan, you just described any sales rep, regardless of size, you know, process. And that might be the case to some degree, but the level of difficulty exponentially increases with the size of the deal. Mega deals equals mega complexity. So what's a person engaged in this great pursuit of the mega deal supposed to do? Take Dante's advice and abandon hope, all ye who enter the mega deal gates? Mm, I, I don't think so. But how can enterprise sales reps face and ultimately beat these seemingly insurmountable challenges? What strategies can be used to help enterprise sales reps close these massive deals that ultimately and ultimately grow massive accounts? Here to explore this big deal question with me today is Mr. Big Deal himself, Mr. Mr. Jamal Reimer, founder and author of Mega Deal Secrets. Jamal, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. So before we get into our conversation, which, uh, uh, by the way, I went on your LinkedIn page, and uh, as soon as I read one of the, the very first things that I read, you will you will never be in total control. I saw that. And I went, uh-oh, I have a brother from another mother. We're going to get into this in a second. But before we get into that conversation, tell us, tell, tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your experience, and Mega Deal Secrets. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm a 20-year individual contributor who never had any interest in taking the, the management route. It's kind of a destination career for me up to up for, for a long time. Uh, the first decade of my career was really hit or miss. 
sometimes I'd be in a good spot and other times it was just terrible. It got to a point where I was fired twice in a row for underperformance. Wondered if it was for me. Um, and, uh, <laughs> the recruiter, you know, I, I bounced around a lot and the recruiter that I was working with after all that looked at me and said, Hmm, I said, well, what does that mean? He says, well, it's not like you worked at Oracle for 10 years. And then the next job that I got was at Oracle. Of course. Right. Uh, and I stayed there for 13 years. And during that 13 year stretch, um, uh, a couple of years in, I was brought into an account that was an ailing relationship. Uh, and they were in the third year of a three-year agreement and things were not looking good that they were going to renew. Uh, but I went through an experience where I was mentored. This, this, is a, this was a lighthouse account and we had to do everything we could to save it. And I was mentored by my head of sales and my head of services, both very salty 30-year veterans of our space who had seen it all. Yeah. And, you know, to just give it the headline, over the following nine months, we took a very unhappy customer at a 10 million run rate to renew as a happy and hopeful customer at 50 million. Okay. So you're saying a fairly small, th that's massive. I mean, come on, 50 million. That's, that is a, the mega of mega deals right there. That is a significant number. It is a significant number. I will say guys in government and telco get even add a digit to that. Yeah. So I'm, um, I'm not the top of the heap. I'm, I'm a lot higher than what, you know, the vast majority of sellers can ever do, but it can even get crazier than what I do. Okay. So we're talking to the right guy and I love that you um, are would say destination career. So I, I love that man, uh, a rising grind. Let's get her done sales person. I love this. Now, before we get into the idea of control, which I, man, I've got a, a lot of, a lot of energy around this idea. I, if, if anybody wants to, you should go to uh, Jamal's LinkedIn page and read his, um, you know, his short blurb about this. It's, it's phenomenal. But before we get there, I, I want to start with struggles. Mm. So from your experience, you know, what are the greatest struggles that most enterprise sales reps face? The, the first word that comes to mind is pressure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's unpack this. What do you mean? So uh, the pressure that I'm talking about, so there's the pressure that every rep can relate to, which is first line managers coming down on them. Uh, not much coaching, but a lot of micromanaging or just give me the numbers, right? What's the next step? And, you know, why isn't Salesforce updated? And when are you going to close this deal? That's, that's a, that's a pressure that we can all relate to. Mm -hmm. um, but as you kind of go through your own maturity uh, curve as a rep, your if you keep progressing, you're going to get to the really true enterprise sales space. You know, you'll go through SDR into uh, SMB and commercial majors up to enterprise. And then in enterprise, you get to the super large deals. And as you go, the deal sizes will likely increase. And as the deal size increases, the pressure increases. And uh, it gets to a point where I was in situations where other people at the company that I would be working at at the time would give me a call. <laughs> they're not my manager, but they're like, how's the deal going? <laughs> you know, this is the biggest, by far, this is the biggest deal of the year for us. 
And, you know, if it doesn't close, I might, I might lose my job because, yeah. you know, the rest of the company isn't doing as well as this deal looks. So there's all kinds of pressure that reps experience. Um, and I've experienced pressure in a way that uh, impacted my health. Oh, okay. So I was going to ask, is this pressure good or bad? And it sounds like it can be, it can be bad, but maybe good as well. Uh, tell me more. Give, give me some yeah. insights here. So there's, there's, there's good pressure. There's positive pressure. You know, you start at zero every year. And there was a joke at Oracle because so many of our deals were so long when I was there. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm at zero 364 days a year. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, that talk about pressure and, 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 you know, starting from behind all the time. You know, the yeah. The and you just live with it. You just learn to live with it, but it still takes its toll. But I've done three very large deals in my career. And after deal one and two, it took me about a month, six, you know, six weeks to re literally recover. I couldn't do much selling after. What ha wait, hold on. What happened? Tell me. I mean, what? Tell, tell me more about this. What happened? So uh, there's so many details to tell. I wrote a book and it's called Mega Deal Secrets. You, you kind of, you know, led, led with that. And that book is the story. It's a, it's a novel. It's a sales novel, uh, giving the reader and kind of an over-the-shoulder view of what doing really large deals is really like. The fun stuff, the really crappy stuff, everything in between. Um, so your question is, what is that like? You know, what kind of pressure are you talking about that would impact your health? So in my experience, it's, you know, 18 to 20 hour days for months. And it, it, it just gets, it, it intensifies as you get closer to the compelling event of the last day of the year, your, the last day of your fiscal. And um, when they're really big deals, there's a lot of people involved. It's not, I make, I make a, a, an analogy of the difference of the selling reality. So most reps are used to selling in what I call the Batman and Robin model. Mm -hmm. Tell, yeah, you know, okay. Batman oh, is the seller, yeah. Robin is the sales, the pre-sales engineer, and Batman and Robin can go off into the territory and just do 50k deals all day long, 100k deals all day long. But when it comes time to do these really large deals, you can't do the Batman and Robin model. You have to become the Roman. The, you got to become the field marshal of the Roman Legion. Hmm. And so you step back from the doing and the executing and you lean into delegating and coordinating and choreographing and orchestrating. Is that okay from a personal perspective? Um, I, I know lots of sales per people. I, I, I was in sales for a long, long time. Uh, you know, giving up control. You're, you're, you're talking about controlling in a different way, right? Guiding yeah. and directing in a different way. Was that, is that difficult to do to toggle between being the frontline doer to backing up and being uh, a delegator, a master delegator? The, well, um, it's hard when you think you do it really well. And it gets really easy when you see that other people do it really well. And it's really important that it gets done well for this customer. So I got very comfortable being the dumbest guy in the room. And it, uh, I, I remember it so clearly 
um, there, there's a seller. Her name is Marcy Akers. She's still at Oracle. She's my North Star. She was never my mentor because I never really sat at her feet, but I watched her from afar. When, when we were doing deals at half a million or $2 million, this is before SaaS, so it's all on-premise software, 2008, 2007, um, she was doing like in the 20s. And then the next year, I think she might've made it to the 30s. I don't know the exact number. So all of us just looked at her in awe. But I talked to her just a couple of years ago. And you know, one of the things she said was, um, I said, What's a, what are your greatest learnings about being a seller all these years? And she said, number one, you have to learn to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because you just got to stay there. And the other thing that she said, that that's a whole talk track right there. Oh yeah. Being, I mean, we can, being... we can spend a whole episode just on that or, you know, a whole book, you know? Yeah. And the other thing she said was, I am an extremely needy seller. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? She's like, to, to do what I do, it, it's, it doesn't, it's, it's, it takes a village to do the sale, you know, and I need a players from across our company to be on my deal team. And I only do what I'm good at. I really know a lot about human nature. And when I have conviction, I can be extremely convincing all the way to the executive level, even though that's uncomfortable as hell for me. Still is, you know, year after year, I work with executives, but that's, I don't see myself as an executive really. So it's stepping up. I'm punching above my weight all the time. And um, so she, so she, she does what she does well, and she gets A players to do everything else. And when you know that that's what it takes, you know, you, you become the coach on the side of the playing field to be able to put these amazing players on the field who all have their roles. And you know that they're better at you than all of them, but that's okay because you're the choreographer. You haven't, you know, I, in, in that post I was talking about, you'll never have total control. You become okay with not having control and it's okay with just influence and you're playing the long game every time. Okay, so the the original question here was what struggles do salespeople face? And the first word that came to mind was pressure. We just unpacked what that means and how, you know, that could, I mean, over time, that, that will take a toll. What are some tactics or strategies that you employed to cope? You know, how do you actually cope? Because this is, you have to become good, it sounds like, at coping with the pressure of the mega deal when you've got maybe the CEO of the company calling you about one deal, right? I mean, that's the reality, publicly traded company. You've got projections on Wall Street. You've got shareholder. I mean, it's like the pressure is significant. It is pointed. How do you cope with that? What, what should a rep that's dealing with this, how do they cope? Uh, so the first coping coping mechanism that I can think of in this situation is make sure you're not selling solo. When doing large deals, I've never I've never seen anybody do a large deal without executive engagement, not just sponsorship, but engagement. Um, large companies, small companies, especially large companies, are filled with inertia, and there are because of its size. It's like the Titanic, right? It's hard to move. It's hard to steer. Um, wh whatever direction they're going, they're going to probably go that way for a while because it's really hard to get to, to change the direction. And um, because of that inertia, 
you not only need senior sponsorship, but you need somebody senior who's like, ooh, this tool or this way or this service is going to help me achieve something I've got in my mind that's really going to change things at this company. And I'm going to push and prod and conjole and convince and inspire and threaten whoever I need to within my organization to make it happen. Otherwise, big deals just don't happen. So one thing that you absolutely need is a sponsor. But there's two sides to the coin. So you also need basically a sponsor and a champion within your own company. So your question is, what's the coping mechanism to deal with the pressure? If everything is my idea, and if everything is my call, then I'm the one that gets shot in the head when it doesn't work. But if I am consulting with my management team, the, the consultative selling process creates a shared understanding of the reality and uh, multiple perspectives that come up with the strategy to move forward. Love and this. different yeah. players that play different roles. So if you're rowing, you're, if you're on a rowing team, you know, five, five or six rowers, and you lose, who do you point the finger at? It's the whole team. So the same is true about doing these really large deals and you, you spread the pressure, you share it. So I, this, this is, you know, kind of, I don't want to say revolutionary, but it's eye-opening really to think about the consultative sales process and approach not happening in a single direction, but it happens in both directions, internally, externally. And making the team the team uh, you might be the point person you might be the quarterback directing and, and driving or the as you said the field marshal of the roman legion um, but at the end of the day it's us it, it's not me it's not just jamal it is the team so sharing or spreading the wealth of the pain or the pressure is what i'm hearing you say did i get that right completely okay love this okay let's get to control uh, on LinkedIn, you say you will never be in total control. Okay. And so you hear all the time from salespeople, sales leaders, get your sales cycle under control. You're out of control. You know, you're, you're not in, you're not commanding the situation. And every time I, I hear that, I, the hack, the hackles, you know, it's like, I, 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 ugh, I get itchy that that's not right. Because at the end of the day, you're trying to control another human being. Are you serious? I can barely control myself. What, what makes you think that I can control other people? Um, so, so tell me, tell me about what you're talking about here. Well, and, uh, to add to what you just said, most of the companies that we're going to deal with, they're not in control of themselves. They're not, they're, they're chaotic. That's the, the, the dirty little secret about every single organization on planet earth is it's kind of almost organized control almost, or, 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 or excuse me, organized chaos. That's what it yeah. is. It's like this, this chaotic kind of thing that's kind of happening within the confines of itself. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So just repeat the question. Yeah. So what I want to know is control, you know, tell me more about your thoughts on this idea. Yeah. Okay. Control. Yeah. So what's happening here? I've, I've never used these words before, but I did as we were setting up to start. Um, uh, so let's just keep going with large deals. Large deals are like an elephant. You can't control an elephant. The best that you can do is guide them and hope that they take your guidance. And you can use incentives or disincentives 
to help 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 you know kind of uh, guide guide the path. So um, yeah, con control is such a is. <clears throat> well, for one thing, okay, let's we can talk at the micro level. We can talk at the macro level. At the micro level, you said something which is extremely true, which we're going to dive into, which is you can't control other people. So I have a personality trait that I also use as something of a superpower, which I love to give other people control. So just take a conversation. When I'm speaking with, a, with an internal colleague or with a customer stakeholder, we, we have a dialogue and we both, and I encourage that both parties get their ideas out. And then I may have a direction that I want to see this go. And I state what that direction is. But I also state, I want you to get what you want. I just threw out a suggestion. Does that match with what you want or not? And then if it's immediately, yes, that they can or they, they like the idea, then we're off to the races. If not, it's further consultation. But the, the, the point I'm trying to make is, People who do not feel in control have a have a have a like a hundred percent common reaction, which is to become defensive mm. and to kind of uh, you know dig their heels in because they're they're seeing either an aggressive posture or a threatening posture coming from the the other side, the other person in the conversation. But when somebody feels like they're in control and there's no threat, they're not operating from the crock brain. They're operating from the rational brain. And that's where you want to be. You will never motivate change in any human being operating from the croc brain. Croc brain is just fight or flight. That's pretty much it. But you, you get people comfortable and safe. And they leave that part of their brain. They go to the, the functional side, the, the, the rational side. And they can be creative. And they can be understanding. And they you can... Uh, they can feel reciprocity. If you do something nice for them, they're probably going to want to do something nice for you. And so I, I'm not controlling them, but they're a hell of a lot more open to my ideas mm -hmm. if they feel safe and that they're, they're in control. Okay. So yes. Um, and by the way, I refer to that croc brain that you're talking to it's, it's like my girlfriend, Amy G right. Amygdala, Amy G Dalla, but, uh, that's, that's a whole other story. I've got a, <laughs> I've got a whole problem with psychology. So prefrontal cortex is where the nonlinear thinking happens. And that's where people do their best work. And that's what you're saying is bring people yeah. out of the fight or flight place, bring them into the safe place. Give me one or two you know, tips. How, how do you make somebody safe How, what do you do to to remove the fear and create an environment of safety for that prefrontal place i ask them a question about what they want and i just let them talk it means that that's is it that simple really yeah okay so uh why don't we all do that then as salespeople? why what stops people from doing that then the pressure. Okay, we're back to the pressure. Okay. So, okay, we're, we're coming full circle. I need a framework. So if, if the pressure is real, right, if the pressure is significant, if it is real, if it's pervasive, if it drives so heavily my paradigm that it impacts my behavior, 
to do things that I know are not going to be helpful. Give me a framework that I can employ. You know, what framework do you use to, to drive these mega deals to, to keep us aligned? So um, I, I could whiteboard it, but let me give you the condensed version to yeah. just keep a thought. Step one, uh, I just look at my accounts and partially from gut feel and partially from research, I'm like, which one, it, which one could support a large deal, right? If I sell by the seat, do they have that many seats to fill, right? You know, if I'm selling CRM, do they have enough salespeople? If I am selling um, something by uh, the data point, does enough data run through their system that they could actually buy a deal of size? They're not a small organization, they're large, right? So I just find in my patch, who, who's my target? It's like it's like whale hunting, right? You want to, if, if you're uh, an, an Eskimo, uh, you know, uh, who, who does this, for thousands of years, one of the, you got to find the whale. You're on the water. You're like, where's the whale? Okay, that whale. That's the one that we're going for. And then, um, for some reason, this um, is, uh, I don't know about revolutionary, but it's, it's counterintuitive to most reps. I go right to my management because I want to involve them early. Most reps involve their, man their management late and there's reasons for that too, which is that most reps are conditioned that when they go and speak with their executives about getting involved in a deal, the executive will just qualify the hell out of their deal. Did you do this? Is this here? You know, what's the, what's the pain? What's the, this, what, and they go through a big long checklist and it just beats down the rep because they're trying to start some early. So they're like, hell, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go to my CRO until I got everything buttoned up. And that will take forever when they do it on their own. So what I do is I do the research and I find, I find a little smoke, right? And I say, so I go to my, I go to my manager or I go to my, my senior executives. And I basically, I say, look, I found some smoke. Let's go make a fire. This is not completely qualified, but here are some facts for you. They missed their number last year. Um, I talked to two people down in the engine room. They said that the problem is this. Uh, I talked to the SI Accenture and they know that the problem existed. Da, 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 da. I'm like, I know there's stuff there, but I don't know everything and I don't know every person. But if you, Mrs. Uh, C-suite person at my company, will come with me and ride shotgun, you're going to help me fail fast. You're going to help me get to the senior folks within the customer because they might not take a call from me right away. I'll get to them, but it'll take me weeks or months to get to them if I'm walking up the mountain. Can you be my helicopter? And so I don't have to be the mountain climber walking up. You, you can just be the helicopter. I'll be a heliskier. You can just take me to the top of that mountain and we can get to work and we'll just, you know, we'll speak to that executive in very plain business terms. We won't even talk about software, but we just want to see if the idea is intriguing enough to actually take a serious look. That's that's the whole, that's why the whole process is so front loaded of doing these large deals. You got to get there fast. You got to get really high because so often you could work for nine months walking up that mountain, dealing with worker bees and mid-level managers, and they all say yes or maybe. And then when they finally gets up to the exec, they say, oh, no, I would never do this. 
that's not failing fast. That's that's spinning multiple cycles to get to a no. Get to the big decision maker as fast as you can. Okay. I'm kind of going on and on a little bit, but trying no, this, to no, this, this is this is perfect. But I do want to come back uh, because a, a lot of our audience are sales leaders, and you said something that I think the sales leaders might need to hear. Okay. <laughs> Um, you, you said something that I haven't really considered before, and that is the sales leader qualifying the hell out of the deal and beating down, making the sales rep feeling like they're being beat down. You know, instead of doing that, what should a sales leader do? Give, give our listeners some advice. Do this, not this. Um, so, so it's active listening. You, you, you have to have the, you're always going to have the filters of is this a good use of our time is this a good use of our resources to go after this but be open to the possibility that your involvement not just blessing you know resources but you getting involved can do exactly what i was talking about earlier which is help the rep help the whole organization to fail fast because the dynamic is this um it's the hierarchical nature of large organizations. So I'll, I'll tell a story. Uh, I was on a, a customer golfing outing uh, when I was at Oracle, and I, I I was able to attract an Oracle EVP. There's only a handful of them. So ma massive, massive bars on this guy's shoulders. Yeah. And I'm not a golfer, so I was driving his cart. And he... <laughs> So I got some real close time with them. And yeah. one of the questions I asked them, I said, so I've done a couple of big deals. I'd like to do another, but when does it make sense to bring you in? I've never gone that high in our organization. And he just looked at me kind of funny. And he said, when you have another EVP that you want me to talk to, if you only have an SVP, go get Sam. He's the right guy. So players at large organizations, you, you can be a small organization, but you need to know the mentality of the guys in the really large shops are very title and role um, oriented. Okay. So like on like, I, that is a wonderful story, by the way, that that's perfectly proves the point, right? So when you have title, get like on like, or in football terms or in other sporting terms, they call it big on big, right? So you want to have like on like um, type, uh, type titles. Okay. That that's wonderful. Any other advice that you'd give to, uh, you know, to sales leaders? Uh, so I think we're in, um, we're, we're in a period where selling to large organizations is becoming more critical. Yes. Um, one is everybody's going up the curve and everybody wants to get there just from a business standpoint. But now that we're in a downturn, it's even more a part of the strategy, how to do more with less. We well, got the same sellers, but maybe switch your customers. If, if you've been selling to the small guys, they're going to have less budget or they might go out of business or they might be on hold. But the big guys, they'll do their layoffs, but they've still got budget to move the ball forward. So they still need to do projects. So it's really important to, to kind of build that capability if you don't have it. And I tell sellers... You should be thinking of your territory like an investment portfolio. You're going to have some risky stuff and you're going to have some safe stuff. And you got to work that out with your manager, which is everybody aspirationally wants to go for the large deal. But if that's all you do, you're going to have a very binary year 
of flood or famine. So what I encourage is I'm like, well, take, take a little bit of high risk, like do work one account that could be super large, but you still got a huge chunk of medium and even a bigger chunk of small that you still have to work with. That's just playing it as safe as you need to. You can take all your risk with one account, not others. But if sales leaders want to encourage that, they've, they've, they've got to let them create, right? They've got to let them take the risk, but they, they shouldn't leave the rep or the lowest level of players to try to go do that all on their own because large deals to an executive, large deals don't look like a large deal. They look more like an acquisition. There's the same level of rigor. There's the same level of political infighting, do or you know, go, no go. So why wouldn't you bring your whole team to that? Why would you let just the seller try to do it Batman and Robin style? Okay. So uh, I love the analogy between um, large deals and acquisition because of the amount of pressure back to your, your, your pressure word, the amount of pressure that happens internally, the infighting, the, the positioning, the <clears throat> everything that has to go into it. What are some signs, right? So from your perspective, what are some signs or signals that the deal might be at risk? These large mega deals might be at risk. I mean, the, the, the first one is what we all, we all face so often is, is the customer in indifference. Okay. Wait, that's, I would not have guessed indifference as number one. Tell me more. Tell me why. Give me more about that. So, um, an indifferent customer doesn't care. Mm. An indifferent customer is not investing in you with mindshare, with time, with people, with anything. They just go quiet. They go dark. How do you Even know if, if somebody's indifferent? How do you know if, I mean, can you look at it? Can you see their eyeballs? Ah, that's an indifferent person. They're thinking person. about something else. <laughs> they're, they're trying to get you off the phone. They're trying to wrap up the meeting early. They do a lot of, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they're just trying to move through whatever process you've got them in so they can get out and go do what they really want to do. That That's indifference. Uh, another sign is when they say, um, when they say everything's okay, you're in first place, but nothing really happens. There's no proof to that verbalization. So lack of movement, indifference and lack of movement are the first two things I heard you say. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Love those signals. Any other yellow lights that our listeners ought to be aware of? Um, I mean, it kind of goes with lack of movement. It's just the time that I'm the most fearful is when everything looks like it's going all right. <laughs> now, I laugh because that sounds somewhat like a cynic, you know, that sounds somewhat like, like I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Is, yeah. I mean, is that, is that real? Tell me about that. It, well, it is because so often it's an M it's an incomplete picture that you're given or that you choose to see. So it could be true. So let's say that there's an onion, there's three layers of the onion and you're on, on the outer layer. The outer layer has all the players that you have visibility to. And those are the players who are telling you everything is okay. We're on track. But you don't have, you have limited access to the players at the second layer and you have no access to the players at the center. So you have an incomplete picture. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't have complete visibility into the other side of the playing table. 
And so it could be true according to the folks on the outer layer. Yep, everything's okay. But internally, another rep from your competitor has not only gotten to the second layer, they got to the center. And they're having a completely different conversation. And when you think uh, you're going to start negotiating a contract because you got to kind of a conceptual agreement, a press release comes out that your customer just bought from your biggest competitor and they bought a lot more than what you were negotiating with that outer layer player. Mm. Okay. So I think we're cooking with gas here. Give us more of your framework. You know, what's the, what's the next piece of your framework? It doesn't have to be linear, but what's the next piece of your framework? It's just going to be easier to whiteboard it. Okay. And I'll, and I'll talk it through too. I call it the two mountain model. Okay. So if you look, there's two mountains in a little valley. Here's a mountain. I'm a terrible drawer. Um, so we've already gone the first mountain where the seller is no longer a mountain climber, but is using a helicopter of their own executive or someone else who has peer business status with power within your account, right? The king of the king or queen of the of the roost right so you use your helicopter to get to power quickly with a with a with a hypothesis a well-researched but initial hypothesis that your offer has value what we want out of this initial engagement or or interaction with the customer executive is just to tweak their interest and intrigue enough that they say yeah i want to know more and I'm willing to put some people on it to do a proper investigation, which is basically uh, could be just anything more than a couple of demos. <laughs> demos don't demos are not an investigation. That's just a proof of some screens. So then let's say we're successful in getting that buy-in to do a proper investigation. Then we can just put this down here and we can just call this investigation. We'll call it a proof of value exercise. Depending on the company you're working for, it could be a sandbox environment. It could be a full-on POC. It could be something in the middle. So I'm not going to, I'll just call it a POV, right? Proof of value exercise. Fair. Yeah. Okay. The goal of this step is to prove the value because in this first meeting, you can give a bunch of customer examples about how you've made similar customers successful. And that'll be intriguing, but the executive is going to say, sounds great. I know they can do it, but will it work for us? If you don't answer that critical issue, they still might buy something, but it'll be a small deal. It'll be a land and expand deal. Now, not all land and expand deals are created evil, equally. The, 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 the evil Landed expand deal is a lazy rep that says yes to everything and lets them get away with buying one unit, takes it down, moves on to the next account, never comes back to grow the account. Now, not everybody has that configuration. Sometimes you got to pass it to another rep, but I'm just making a point. Sure. The smart rep can use the land and expand in the same way that I'm using the proof of value exercise. So what I'm saying is if you're going to start Start off the blocks really fast. Get to power really fast. Of You can avoid or mitigate the likelihood of a land and expand if you do a proper investigation before the first purchase order. 
If you prove value, the customer will be more comfortable in buying in size rather than just one or two seats. After you do the exercise, you go back up to basically report back in a readout meeting. You go back to power. You make sure that the same executive that gave you the mandate is there. You bring your executive. So now both sides are taking it very seriously. And the goal here is to achieve the conceptual sale at the decision-making level. And then just to oversimplify it, the rest of the sales cycle is the close. And that has a lot to it. It's, it's one word, but that includes getting all the other stakeholders on board who need to be on board outside of the decision-making committee. That means going through every closing process, the, the procurement process, security, compliance, T's and C's, price, all of that. And then finally getting to sign signatures. Okay, so this framework is phenomenal. The, I mean, really, uh, the artwork and you know, you don't do yourself justice. I, the artwork is actually pretty. It's it's very you know abstract. I like this, um, but you know, conceptually, uh, is very easy to follow. Okay, most things that are easy to follow and that have you know mega deals or something that's significant attached to it, there's this this idea that might say easy does hard. If you were to give one piece of advice to that mega deal pursuer, what's that advice that you would give in your framework here? Because this it's wonderful. I love the idea of by by the way, getting to power. It, it's it's simple, but it's 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 just spot on. It's so good, like so good. What's that one piece of advice you would give to the mega deal pursuer? To, to start the journey? Yeah. It's abstract, but I'm going to start here anyway. It's think bigger. And what I mean by think bigger is um, if you want to catch a fish, you can use a fishing rod. But if you want to catch a whale, you can't use a fishing rod. And so um, I, I, I coach um, individuals and teams on how to do this stuff. And the first thing we work on is mindset. And we talk about the mindset of the mega dealer and the mega deal, you know, there's different, you, you could deliver different value propositions to your, to your audience. I'm going to just stop the share for a minute. There are different um, insights that you could bring for the same offer because a worker bee on the shop floor is going to respond to a worker bee insight. Hey, push this button, not this button, because this button works better. A mid-level manager, director, VP level will respond to a mid-level insight, which is, hey, here's how you can make life better for your whole team or your whole business unit. But an executive will not respond to an insight at the mid-level or the worker bee level. You have to generate or discover or engineer an insight that will impact the entire enterprise. 
So we have to think bigger. Maybe our marketing teams have given us an insight, but guess what? It's a mid-level insight. Which is never going to get giving, to your point. And that's not going to get or ring any bells for any executive. No. So you got to roll up your sleeves, do more research, get deeper under the hood, make more relationships, find more pain, get more stories, um, analyze more data. Because if you come to a senior executive with, hey, let's tell you about the four major trends going on in the industry, they will have heard that 18 months ago from Deloitte. You have to bring something that's new or a new take on something that they already know, a new perspective, a new way of thinking. Anything else is going to be like inviting somebody to come over to watch a rerun. Ooh, ooh, okay. <clears throat> that that's visceral right there. No, but that's, that's, I mean, to put it, it that's lame, right? So uh, nobody wants to come up. Oh, Hey, you want to watch the, the, the 1992, I mean, <laughs> come on. You know, I mean, what, what is, what is the value of that? Right. Uh, that is so visceral. That is so excellent. So Jamal, man, um, we're, we're just scratching the, the surface here of what you're bringing to the table. We really are. We have not in a, in our you know show, we are not capable we don't have the time to, to really get into this, but what you've shared today are just phenomenal tips um, and, and basic understanding of a framework that, that could be employed. Um, but, but we really, we only tapped into a fraction of, of your expertise. So that being said, I, I need to make an invite to, to our listeners. Listeners, you have to check out Jamal's website and masterclass at megadealsecrets.com. Uh, you have to. Uh, feel compelled to go do this. Uh, this will start to change your paradigm. And if you're going to change your behavior, it has to start with paradigm. Jamal, thank you for being on the show today, man. This was just, this was phenomenal. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. I had a great time. And listeners, remember, no deal is out of reach. We'll see you next time.